All right. So we made it. We're here again, you and I together. Yay. We get to hang out this morning. Uh, my big kids had soccer tournament this weekend. Their, their tournaments were canceled last weekend due to the flooding. And so they were rescheduled for November. So that's where my Jeff and the big kids are. So you get to hang out with me today, which hopefully will be some fun. Um, so we had a bit, a pretty big week, right? Um, I cut my hair off and we got a new president of the United States. Um, Donald Trump is our, our new president and a haircut and what, <laughs> and you know, truth be told, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly just going to jump right into my thoughts with you today. You know, I know that in a room, even this size, like we're, we're feeling all over the place. Like our emotions are probably none the same in here. And even in a church this size, I'm pretty confident that we're probably a pretty divided room. In fact, that some of us feel very strongly one way and some of us feel very strongly the other way. And some of you probably have very close relationships where you happen to be thinking, I can't, how in the world could they vote for blank? And they're probably thinking the same thing about you. How in the world could they vote for blank? And, it, and it's become quite a point of tension. You know, families divided, friends divided over this, churches divided, and really a nation very divided. And maybe there are some of you who chose not to vote and maybe, you know, you, or you did vote and you like maybe just designed a pretty Christmas tree on your ballot. And you would like social media to go back to, like, dinner and happy cats or something. So um, I'm sure we have a very wide range of what's happening here today. But can I be honest with you? A statement that I'm hearing, and it's very, um, I think it's just happening, it's being said, and something that's really pushing me the wrong way, is this. I don't know how any Christian could ever blank I don't know how any Christian could ever vote for blank. I've heard it said, you've heard it said, we've seen it on social media, we've seen it on the news, and honestly, maybe of us, some of us have even said that statement ourselves. Now everybody's kind of getting tense. (laughs) Just relax. I'm certainly not going to tell you who I think you should have voted for. I'm certainly certainly not going to do that today. So just hang in there um, with me, because I do want to talk to you about what this means for us as a country who perhaps, even before we walked in this room, were pretty divided on our thoughts. We are going to pick up in Matthew chapter 12. We have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and last week we were talking of the story that starts off the beginning of of chapter 12, where Jesus is um, doing, as he does, shocking things on the Sabbath, where he's, um, you know, walking along and we have this example of, of him, um, you know, eating and picking the, 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 the grain. And, and the Pharisees were not quite happy with what they were seeing in Jesus' behavior. And so they call him out on it, and we have this interaction. And, and this is something that continues to happen, that we see throughout this, the ministry and the life of Jesus. We see these kind of onlookers, these religious folks, the elite of the communities who are we know as the Pharisees that are coming and they're giving their opinions and they're expressing their thoughts about what Jesus is doing. 
And so we're going to pick up in chapter, uh, same chapter, and start in verse 22. So Jesus, after this interaction on the Sabbath, he needs a bit of rest, which who doesn't after you get, kind of get hammered by people who disagree with you. So he pulls away, and then he kind of in, in, comes back on the scene, and he's among the crowd again. And what he does is, of course, shocking to the Pharisees. And so verse 22 Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, no, it's only Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, and that, that this fellow drives out demons. So he was, they were accusing him that he was using the same power that was within this man to actually set the man free. So they were saying like, he's just kind of tapping into the power that the demon that was already in this man that was present. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against his very self. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a good tree, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings up good things that are out of the good stored inside him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored inside him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account On the day of judgment, for every careless word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The Pharisees see that Jesus has healed this man. They they see this miracle taking place, this man who had no sight, this man who had no hearing, and Jesus heals him. And the crowd, they begin to chant or in question, well, could this be the son of God? Could he be the son of God? And what the Pharisees do is something different. They take a more cynical tone, accusing Jesus of actually being demonic in his healing. Instead of celebrating that he just changed the course of this man's life, they jump in and they have something to say about the good. And they want to create it into something bad. Here, Jesus is providing a physical healing and setting a man free, trapped by a demonic possession. And instead of celebrating the goodness of what has just happened, they have decided that this is not okay. He surely is not healing from the source of the power of God. So, you know, I often tell you stories about being a mother. 
I have four kiddos, and this is kind of my main gig right now. It's what I spend the majority of my time doing. It's, it's, it's a good thing. But as a mother, more than anything, I want my children to grow up with the knowledge that God loves them. I want them to see God's love in the people that are around them. And I want them to behave with God's love in their interactions with the people that they come in contact with. And when I don't see that happening in my children, what do, what do moms do? Like, what, what do we do? We kind of have to do the mom talk, right? I mean, you and I have all been on the receiving end of the mom talk where, you know, or it's a mother figure in your life where that moment comes and, and you know, my mom would call me with the first and the middle name and, you know, Jody Nicole. And, it, and it's where... I needed to her to kind of snap me out of wherever I was. And especially when it came to my behavior, you know, as a teenager and making poor decisions. And she, she needed to kind of set me back on course, right? And that's what I do with my kids. You know, I get a, they get a little off track. I see them bickering or fighting or making decisions that I'm like, you know, and I have to talk to them from my heart. This passage to me feels kind of like a mom talk straight from Jesus. And as I've listened and I've watched over the past several weeks and months of this election, especially over this last week, I cannot help but believe that the church at large needs a mom talk. The church at large needs a good talking to. There's this book that um, I'm going to read a quote from, and I actually would encourage you to check out this book, but the, the title of the book May, may turn some people off, but it's called Jesus Feminist, an invitation to revisit the Bible's view on women. And the author, Sarah Bessie, she says, we have been sent out to the world as an image bearer of God, movers of the kingdom, much as the spirit sent the son, as the father and the son sent the spirit, we are now sent to change the world. We are to participate in the movement of God's love towards people since God is the fountain of sending love. The mission of God is your mission and it's my mission and it's the work of every son and every daughter living loved as we join with God in his great and glorious and gorgeous mission to change the world. So back to this question or statement, I should say, I don't know how any Christian could ever vote for blank. When we make this type of statement, no matter what you fill in the blank with, it creates a dividing thought that my side is right and your side is wrong. It creates a dividing thought that all Christians should actually be the very exact thing. We should all think the same. Always. Is this true? Is what is true for me always what is true for you? Should all Christians have voted for the same person? Just yikes, you know, religion and politics. The question takes a very surface snapshot over how somebody would get to the point where they would make the decision that they made perhaps this week. But really, if you change that statement, you could fill the blank in with anything. I don't know how any Christian could ever get a divorce. Let their child do that. See scripture that way. Have no stance on that. Give up their child. Consume alcohol. Worship that way. Wear that to church. Don't 
Don't go to church. Read that book. Vote for Hillary Clinton. Vote for Donald Trump. And this list could go on and on and on. These statements place a dividing line between us and someone else. This, these statements place us on a certain side or you on a certain side and, and the other on the other. These type of statements place the rightness in one corner and the wrongness in another. But should we actually see the world this way? Should we actually see the world this way? I think if we were all to be honest with ourselves, oftentimes the rightness of whatever statement that we're making, it tends to be in our corner, right? We love to be right. Who doesn't like to be right? And I think for some reason, our egos prefer to believe that there's one side better than the other, right? The rightness in me or in my thoughts does not equal the wrongness in you. And this is why I think Jesus makes so much of these radical, action-driven moments that we see here in Scripture. This is why we see him acting in manners that challenge the ego and that turn our perspective upside down. Grace, mercy, justice, compassion. Because when we experience those moments in undeserved moments of our lives, it changes our perspective. Think of a moment when you were so undeserving to be loved and someone loved you anyway. Maybe a parent, maybe a loved one, a sibling, a good friend. Think of a moment when you were so undeserving to be forgiven, but you were forgiven anyway. In the moments that we are shown what is unexpected in this culture, our perspective changes. And that's what Jesus comes to teach us to do. Because when you have a personal experience with mercy or grace or justice or compassion or love, it changes the way you go about this world. And this is where the mom talk comes in. The ugliness that we have seen and perhaps we have shown in this past week as a church is unacceptable. I'm not speaking to just this church directly. I'm speaking to the church at large that we see across our nation the things that I see being said toward one another, the, the actions, the, the statements from one side to the next is not okay. And I'm, as a mother and a pastor's wife of this church, telling you it's not okay. You see the complexities of humanity and the multifaceted stories of life that even represent this room you will only ever see at face value if you judge where somebody is standing if you've never stood where they're standing. I don't see how any Christian could ever blank. Why are we even asking that question? Why are we even starting there? If among us, the church, we cannot get over our differences, we will fail to be the force of love that we are intended to be in this world. Verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. Jesus' words, he who does not gather with me scatters. If the church doesn't gather around Jesus, we will be scattered and our mission will be ununited, it will be divided, and it will be less of an impact than, we, than, than it's intended to be. 
The Pharisees here should have been celebrating this miracle. They should have been like elated that here this man was completely set free. But instead, they were looking for the wrong in the good. Are we looking for the wrong in the good? The ugliness, the hatred, the misinformed assuming does not produce the light of Jesus Christ. It just doesn't. So I have this image that sometimes I feel like God gives me these ways to see in prayer and just and when I don't sleep at night, which is often. And I have this image of how our, our world could be. You know, and if you think of our planet, you think in terms of how God's spirit interacts with this planet. It's like his spirit is just hovering over this earth. And then we are the people of God are being molded like clay to be instruments of his as we walk around this world. We've been given this job to beautifully and boldly reflect the love of God in light and grace and change. The potential is this ripple effect when the spirit hovers and the, and the willing instrument is molded. And then one person after another after another allows the love of God to tra- transform their lives. It changes how we interact. It changes how we speak. It changes how we love the person right next to us who thinks completely different than us. And when this happens, everything can change. As we know it. But. But if we are divided against ourselves. Our impact will become less and less powerful. If we find our thoughts convinced that we are with Jesus. And they are not. We will not impact the world as we are intended to be doing. The dividing line lessens our impact. If among us the church is spending our energy trying to define the good and the bad that we see out there, the good trees and the bad trees, we will not be the force of love that we are intended to be in this world. We, we will and certainly be known by our fruit. That is true. The presence of God's spirit in our lives should produce fruit. It should change us. It should be reflected in how we behave and how we go about life. It should be visible. It should be noticeable in the people that we encounter and how we care for each other and how we love for one another. But you know what I see happening? What you see happening? As a culture, we are instead interested in dividing the good and the bad. And especially the bad. Like It's like we can't look away. We, we, we want to take notice of the things that are worse off than us because I think it makes us feel better. If we see somebody who's not doing as well, well then at least... We're not them. But if you can imagine falling into that type of thinking that there is a saint and a sinner, that there is a good and there is a bad, it divides us, it keeps us separate, and it lessens our impact in this world. I, can't, I believe that we can't even begin to imagine how vibrantly colorful the, that God sees this planet. I believe that we can't even begin to imagine how he sees you and I and how his love reaches so far. It's it's out of our minds to comprehend the extent that his love goes. What if we changed our picture? What if we changed our worldview? If among us, the church, the words that we speak towards one another, 
the words that we say on social media, the words that we write or speak or share, if they are not marked by the heart of Jesus, we will fail to be that force of love that we're called to be. How we speak matters. How we write matters. How we post matters. The world is watching, in fact. Verse 34 in this passage says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you saying? What have we been saying? Remember, verse 35 says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored in him. The evil man brings things out of the evil stored in him. You know, we are now seeing more than ever that, that America and the church and that you and I have a struggle of what goes in must come out. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of my heart. It's an issue of your heart. You know, I've heard some people say, and I, I've, I've noticed that this, this week, especially where, where somebody uses the statement, well, I'm just being who I am, and so therefore I have to be true to who I am, and I'm just speaking my mind. Being who you are and being who we are does not allow us, it does not entitle us to disregard the other. It is an issue of the heart. It does not excuse unkindness and disregard because Jesus teaches and he models to us that the fruit that we should bear should be reflective of his spirit in this world. And when it is not, it is a bad taste to this kingdom that is trying to figure out, do they want this, this God or do they not? And if we really as a church don't have the opportunity to kind of get our act together, it is less attractive to those who are not in a church or in faith at all. Verse 36 says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by you, your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. By your words, you will find salvation, and by your words, you will find damnation. What you say matters. How you speak matters. And it should bother us when we see this discord among other believers. Because the message that we're speaking and the message that we're showing to this world is not the one that Jesus would have asked us to. Or what he's asking us to. So one of the best things that I can teach my kids as personal responsibility. Um, I have this kind of wide range of kids and right now trying to teach Roby to like pick up her toys is like the death of me. You know, like she comes out, she's like, you know, she's two, she likes to take the whole bucket and she wants to just dump out like the 52 million toys in in the bucket. And then, and then she wants to spread them out all over. And the minute you come in and you like pick up the one, like that's like, you know, squinkies, does any parents know squinkies? What are in the world? They're like this big. And if I pick up the one squinky that's like the Cinderella that's like this big and I move it, she knows. Like I've moved it from the pile of like 52 million toys. And she gets so mad, you know, if I, if I try to start picking up the toys because she wants them to be where they are. And so I'm trying to teach her this personal responsibility that you make a mess, you got to clean it up, right? 
And then as my kids get older, their responsibility increases. And so now, you know, amazing Canon, they're, oh, they're a little bit older and they have chores. They have things that, that they're responsible to do. And if I, if I wash your laundry and I fold it, you're going to put it away. Okay. If, if I ask you to feed the dog or unload the dishwasher, like this isn't, these are things that are teaching you to be like productive citizens of the world. Right. And so those, those are valuable things. But what happens when you move into adult life is that nobody is keeping you accountable for your responsibility. You don't have your mom at your house anymore. Well, at least most of you don't have your mom at your house anymore that, you know, and she's not saying you need to put away your laundry and you really shouldn't eat chocolate cake for breakfast. And you might want to shower, you know, it's been a few days. Like no one's telling you that. And so in your adult life, you kind of have this freedom to do what you want to do, right? The problem is, is that if we misuse that freedom, we grow up and we find ourselves being less responsible than maybe we were when we were two. And her mom was telling us to pick up our toys because when we make a mess and we create our mess, we are responsible to make sure that it is something that's important to us, that that how we behave and how we move in this world really matters. No one is responsible, but you with how you speak and how you love this world. And so when we have these moments and these opportunities to make a difference and to shine and to be a light for God, it is on us to use those words wisely, to make those choices matter, and to stand for things that we believe in and are passionate about. So there's this children's book um, that's quite incredible, and it's called Zoom. And it's this book that doesn't have any words. Um, it, it just has images on the picture, on the pages. When you open up the first page, it's this, like, you know, this image that you see. It's just this bright red image, and it looks like it's been cut out at the top. You know, almost like a mountain or um, even maybe a leaf, you know. It's just a red image, and it's cut jagged on the top. And when you flip to the next page, it zooms out, and you see that this is a rooster, And then when you flip to the next page, it zooms out again, and you see that it's actually a rooster that's in a barnyard with other um, animals. And then you zoom out, and you see that there are these two little children, and they're they're peering over a windowsill, and they're looking at this rooster that's in this farmyard of animals. And then you turn the page and you zoom back out and you see a farmer who's across the way and looking at the children who are looking through the window, who are looking at the rooster. And this book just continues to go. You find that the the image is actually a man sitting at the pool and he's reading the magazine. And in the magazine, you see this image of the farmer and the rooster and the children in the farmyard. And it goes and it goes and it goes. And what I love about this book and what it says without even using words is that sometimes there are things that we just don't know all the details about because we're not close enough to see the image ourselves. So if you could imagine the person that you would think is the most different from you, who thinks the most different than you, who believes the most different than you, what if you actually took the time to zoom in and to see what's on that first page? Or what's all in all the pages in between that you might be missing about their story, about their life, about what they've gone through, about who they are? What if you, what if 
you know, you found a way to be able to get past what you might think about who they are or what they're doing or what they're going through. And you zoom in and you see that their story is quite a bit, quite a bit different than you might have imagined. I would challenge you to consider that the possibility that there are many people who are wildly in love with God who are very different from you and very different from me. And does that make me right and them wrong? Does that make them right and me wrong? I believe that as a church, there is this great responsibility for us to be a force of love for God and his kingdom to show up on earth. And I believe that when we are divided as a church, as a church at large, shame on us. Because we've been given this tremendous opportunity to be the light and the love that could change this culture. Why is it that we just waste our time being on one end of the argument or the other and we miss the whole, all the nuances in between? And we miss the fact that the image bearer that we're sitting across from might disagree with us, but Jesus is in them just as much as he's in me and he's in you. This election, the outcome should not divide the church. It should pull us together. It should make us more powerful. It should make us more grounded in the love of God and give us a mission that we believe in together. It should make us forget the things that make us different and it should put us on the same page so that we can really zoom in and see what the story is that's on the the other side of the room. The other side of the table, maybe next door, the co-worker that we work with each day. I want us to be challenged by this passage today because I think that we often don't consider the things that we say matter. Out of the overflow of the heart, our mouths will speak. What is inside us? What's going on inside you? It will come across in how you communicate to this world, to your brothers and sisters, and it should not divide the church. It should not divide our faith. It should not be something that puts you on one side and them on the other, or the right in one corner and the wrong on another. If we cannot get over those differences, we will not make the tremendous impact that God is calling us to make in this world. I want to read to you guys in Psalm, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me today. And this is how we're going to wrap up. So for many of you, um, I imagine that you've had a very unsettling week, maybe as I have. There is probably not a whole lot of of, um, explanation that I could give with that. I feel like everybody has the right to feel and believe and think the way that they think. But that should not make this room more tense and divided. It should bring us together. Because the message of the gospel and the message of the kingdom and the message of who God is and what he's calling us to do is what puts us on the same page. Period. End of story. And if we can't get our act together, you know, like the mama talk, what, what difference are we going to actually make in this world? If you're passionate about making a difference for God, then you do it. And you do it with the love and grace and dignity and mercy and compassion that he has shown you undeservedly. Right? 
I'm going to read to you guys from Psalm 46, and this is how we're going to close and then prayer. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, through its waters roar and foam, and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad in the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her through a break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Almighty God is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth, and he, bows the, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in this earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What brings us together should be more powerful than what separates us. What brings us together should be more powerful than what divides us. The love of God has been given to each one of us in a way that we did not deserve. And that's good news. That's the world, the the news that the world is waiting to hear. You want to make a difference in this political season? And you stand for what's right with God. You ask for his wisdom to be with you as you love the world. You don't get into a debate that, that causes you to harm a person. That, that does, that's a waste of energy. And that doesn't produce good. Have conversations that matter. Reach out to love the people who feel left. Reach out and love your neighbor. Love your family. Make an impact there. Be responsible adults who love in a way that reflects the light of Jesus. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And all the stuff that gets us all crazy and tangled and upset, it's a waste of energy, in my opinion, for what we could be doing in the mission that he's given us to change this world. So let's pray. And then we're going to go. You guys can... Not talk about politics over lunch. (laughs) Talk about the love of God. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in your name. It is a freedom that we do not take for granted. And we are honored that we can sit with our brothers and sisters, that we can feel the things that we feel. But at the end of the day, I I believe more than anything that you are calling us to, to erase the dividing line, to merge with the sides. to to disband the sides and to come under the umbrella of what brings us together in the first place. And that's who you are. That's the love that you've given us and that you have extended to us in our undeserved manner. I pray that we would find that common ground and we would be the force of love that you have asked us to be in this world. Pray that you would just go before us as we head out and we're going in different directions today and throughout this week. I pray that we would take advantage of opportunities to communicate your love, to shine for your kingdom, to be a change and maybe a dark situation. 
Thank you that we've been given this opportunity to be your instruments. What a privilege it is to tell the story of you. And I pray that we would do that well. God, go with us today. We love you. And we pray these things in your name today, Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for being with me. Maybe next week we won't talk about politics. Um, but I, I appreciate your time. And I just I pray that you would have a wonderful week. And uh, love you guys.